So in 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 Bhikkhu Bodhi's uh, introduction of the Sutta, um, he's saying that the discourse considered to offer the most comprehensive instructions on meditation practice is the Satipatthana Sutta. Incidentally, Bhikkhu Bodhi, for those of you who do not know, is one of the preeminent scholars in the in the Theravadan tradition. He, uh, I think, he's been a monk for forty something years, and he's he's translated. Um, the middle-length discourses, the long discourses, the connected discourses, and the great disciples of the Buddha as a few of the works that he's done. (laughs) He's incredibly clear and phenomenally knowledgeable. So, I mean, I have a lot of confidence and trust in what he says. It's worth listening to. And he's contemporary. You know, he lives in New York. He's maybe a couple years older than me. I don't know what, but yeah. Mm. So the, there's two versions of the suttas exist, the longer version in the Diga Nikaya, the middle-length version in the Majjhima Nikaya. The, the longer one differs from the latter only by its extended analysis of the Four Noble Truths, which may have originally been an early commentary incorporated into the discourse. The middle-length version is included here, and an entire chapter in the Samutta Nikaya is the Satipatthanam Samutya, is also devoted to the system of meditation. The Satipatthana Sutta does not recommend a single meditation subject, nor even a single method of meditation. Its purpose, rather, is to explain how to establish the mode of contemplation needed to arrive at the realization of Nibbana. The appropriate frame of mind to be established as implied by the title of the sutta is called an establishment of mindfulness. The word satipatthana should probably be understood as a compound of sati mindfulness and upatana establishment, hence establishment of mindfulness would be the rendering that best captures the original meaning. According to the standard formula that accompanies each exercise, a satipatthana is a mode of dwelling, viharati. This mode of dwelling involves observation of objects in the proper frame of mind. The frame of mind consists of three positive qualities, energy, atapa, or ardor, mindfulness, sati, and clear comprehension, sampajanya. The word sati originally meant memory, but in the present context it signifies collective recollection of the present, a sustained awareness of what is happening to us and within us on each occasion of experience. Mindfulness in its initial stages is concerned with keeping the contemplative mind continually on its object which means keeping the object continually present to the mind. Mindfulness prevents the mind from slipping away, from drifting off under the sway of random thoughts into mental proliferation and forgetfulness. Mindfulness is often said to occur in close conjunction with clear comprehension, a clear knowledge and understanding of what one is experiencing. The opening formula of the sutta says that one engages in this practice after having subdued longing and dejection in regard to the world. 
the expression having subdued need not be taken to imply that one must first overcome longing and dejection, which according to the commentary signify greed and aversion, and thus represent the five hindrances before one can start to practice the satipatthana. The expression might be understood to mean that the practice is itself the meaning the means of overcoming longing and dejection. Thus, while subduing the obstructive influences of greed and inversion, the meditator arouses the positive qualities of energy, mindfulness, and clear comprehension and contemplates four objective domains, body, feeling, states of mind, and phenomena. It is these four objective domains that differentiate mindful observation into four establishments of mindfulness. The four objective domains divide the expository portion of the Satipatthana into four major sections. Two of these sections, the first and the fourth, have several subdivisions. When the subdivisions are added up, we obtain altogether 21 meditation objects. Several of these can be used as a means to develop serenity, but the Satipatthana system as a whole seems especially designed for the development of insight. The main sections with their divisions are as follows. Contemplation of the body. This comprises 14 subjects of meditation. Mindfulness of breathing, contemplation of the four postures, clear comprehension of activities, attention to the unattractive nature of the body by view, by, viewed by way of its organs and tissues, attention to the elements, and nine charnel ground contemplations, contemplations based on corpses in different stages of decomposition. Contemplation of feeling, Vedanupasana, feeling is differentiated into three primary types, pleasant, painful, and neither pleasant nor painful, which are each further distinguished into carnal and spiritual feelings. However, because these are all merely different types of feeling, the contemplation of feeling is considered one subject. Contemplation of mind, chitanupasana. This is one subject of contemplation, the mind, differentiated into eight pairs of contrasting states of mind. And contemplation of phenomena, dhammanupasana. The word dhamma here probably signifies phenomena, which are classified into five categories governed by the Buddha's teachings. The dhamma, this dhammanupasana has a dual meaning. Dhamma's phenomena contemplated by way of the dhamma, the teaching. The five categories are the five hindrances, the five aggregates, the six internal and external sense bases, the seven factors of enlightenment, and the four noble truths. Although not specified in the sutta, a progressive sequence seems to be implied by the terms describing each contemplation. In mindfulness of breathing, one moves to subtler levels of quiescence. In contemplation of feeling, one moves towards non-carnal feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. In contemplation of mind, one moves towards states of mind that are concentrated and liberated. These all suggest that progressive contemplation brings enhanced concentration. In the contemplation of phenomena, the emphasis shifts towards insight. One begins by observing and overcoming the five hindrances. The overcoming of the hindrances marks success in concentration. 
with concentrated mind one contemplates the five aggregates, the six sense bases, and as contemplation gains momentum, the seven factors of enlightenment become manifest, and the development of enlightenment culminates in the knowledge of the four noble truths. Each major contemplative exercise is supplemented by an auxiliary section or refrain with four subdivisions. The first states that the meditator contemplates the object internally, within his or her own experience, externally, reflectively considering it as it's occurring within the experience of others and both. This ensures that one obtains a comprehensive and balanced view of the object. The second portion states that the meditator contemplates the object as subject to origination, as subject to vanishing, and is subject to both origination and vanishing. This brings to light the characteristic of impermanence and thus leads to the insight into the three characteristics of impermanence, suffering, and not-self, anicca, dukkha, and anatta. The third states that the meditator is simply aware of the bare object to the extent necessary for constant mindfulness and knowledge. And the fourth describes the meditator as dwelling in a state of complete detachment, not clinging to anything in the world. He goes on about the significance of the mindfulness of breathing. And this chapter in this sutta is just one of many meditation objects, but in other suttas it's given much more prominence. Anyway, um, I like his clarity, and it's helpful to kind of give an overview of the whole sutta. So here is the Nikaya. This is the middle-length discourses. And um, we're starting with the first, first... Thus have I heard, on one occasion, the Blessed One was living in the Kiru country at the town of Kiru's named Kamasadama. And here he addressed the bhikkhus thus, Bhikkhus, Venerable Sir, they replied. And the Blessed One said this, Bhikkhus, this is the direct path for the purification of beings and the, for the surmounting of sour, sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of pain and grief, for the attainment of the true way, for the realization of Nibbana, namely the four foundations of mindfulness. What are the four? Here, bhikkhus, a bhikkhu abides contemplating the body as body, ardent, fully aware, and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. He abides contemplating feelings as feelings, ardent, fully aware and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. He abides contemplating mind as mind, ardent, fully aware and mindful, having putting away covetous and grief for the world. And he abides contemplating mind objects as mind objects, ardent, fully aware and mindful, having having put away covetous and grief for the world. And how bhikkhus does a bhikkhu abide contemplating body is body. Here, a bhikkhu gone to the forest or to the root of the trees or to an empty hut sits down, having folded his legs crosswise, sits in an erect and established mindfulness in front of him. 
Ever mindful, he breathes in. Ever mindful, he breathes out. Breathing in long, he understands, I breathe in long. And breathing out long, he understands, I breathe out long. Breathing in short, he understands, I breathe in short. Or breathing out short, he understands, I breathe out short. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, experiencing the whole body of breath. He trains thus, I shall breathe out, experiencing the whole body of breath. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, tranquilizing the body formation. And he trains thus, I shall breathe out, tranquilizing the bodily formation. Just as a skilled turner or his apprentice, when making a long turn, understands, I make a long turn. Or when making a short turn, understands, I make a short turn. So too, when breathing in long, a bhikkhu understands, I breathe in long. And he trains himself thus, I shall breathe out, tranquilizing the bodily formations. So um, there's a number of things just in this introduction. First of all is the context of where he's speaking and who he's speaking to. And according to the discourse, he's speaking to a group of bhikkhus. So bhikkhus in this context are monks. Now, what he says and what Nyanamoli says, what other people say, is that in this context, the word bhikkhu is actually indicative of anybody who endeavors to practice it's not just related to people who've taken upasampada and keep 227 rules and are a male. And so because in this situation we don't have any bhikkhus who've got 227 precepts who keep the rules and are male, then sometimes what happens when we only use that word is, is that we have a kind of subtle linguistic thing that shuts off our own capacity to think that the teaching is for us. So in this situation, what I do is I transpose the word for what it is meant to be, which is anybody who practices. And so I use that instead. So again, this is a group of monks, and he's speaking to them, and he's talking to them that the first thing that's needed in order to practice is to go to the forest or to the root of the tree or an empty hut and sit down having folded one's legs crosswise, establishing the body erect and establishing mindfulness in front of him. So again, what is necessary is understanding context. And as I've said before when I've, when I've spoken about this, you know, if, if, you've, if you've been to Asia, you know, you can see the way the people in that culture are. And they don't do uptight. That's not part of their... their um, mechanisms, you know. And so there's no mention of relaxation, yeah. But in this context, you know, I I really strongly suspect that if he were teaching a group of Westerners, that it would be in the instructions, you know. Because we do uptight just about better than we do anything else. (laughs) So we need to learn how to relax, not just to hold things uptight, you know upright rather than uptight. So again, what one is constantly having to do is is not put things in the Buddha's mind, but actually understand the context that he was speaking from and see in this context what the differences might be and make um, allowances for that. So, and then there's the refrain, which uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi has mentioned and describes. In this way, one abides contemplating body as body internally 
or one abides contemplating body as body externally, or one abides contemplating body as body both internally and externally, or one abides contemplating in the body its arising factors, or one abides contemplating in the body its vanishing factors, or one abides contemplating in the body both its arising and vanishing factors. Whereas mindfulness that there is a body is simply established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and mindfulness. And one abides, independent, not clinging to anything to the world. And that is how one abides, contemplating the body as body. So I'm not going to spend much time on the breath because we've been working within our meditation practice. But I want to go through the, um, the postures and uh, I want to go through some of these other other practices. So when walking, one understands I am walking. When standing, one understands I am standing. When sitting, one understands I'm sitting. When lying down, one understands I am lying down. Or one understands accordingly however one's body is disposed. In this way, and then there's the refrain, okay? So he lays out the four postures. He's not making a special emphasis that sitting is the sum total of where meditation takes place. There isn't a preference that's stated. They're just outlined. In full awareness, one acts when going forward and returning. One acts in full awareness when looking ahead and looking away. One acts in full awareness when flexing and extending the limbs. One acts in full awareness when wearing robes and carrying robe and bowl. One acts in full awareness when eating, drinking, consuming food and tasting. And one acts in full awareness when defecating and urinating. One acts in full awareness when walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking, and keeping silent. And so again, what's happening here is, is the meditation is not only in the classic postures, but in every activity of the day, including the things that happen in the toilet, which is not normally what we associate with is where our meditation practice is occurring. But what this is indicating is, is that practice is not separate from any part of our life. And one of the indications of practice as it stabilizes and gets more steady and mature is, is that we bring full attention and awareness into every part of our life, every activity of our life, every aspect of our life. And so one thing that's useful is to consider what are the kind of off zones, you know? What is not included, you know? Where is it that is absolutely not holy enough to consider part of my meditation practice? You know, that's an interesting question to begin to start looking. What, where, where are those parts of our life? And then to begin to ask, well, why have we done that? You know, does it, is that actually in accordance with the teachings and is that in accordance with your own understanding? So I will stop here and continue on. I think tomorrow I'm going to continue on with the first uh, foundation. And I'm going to make a particular emphasis of the 32 parts and the nine charnel ground meditations. Um, I've always been a little bit chicken to talk about them. (laughs) I was afraid it was going to give people bad dreams. (laughs) 
But I think um, I've gotten more courageous. Does that, uh, are there any questions that arise about this reading or how to practice with it or the instructions that I've been giving? Can we remind the five hindrances again? The five hindrances is uh, greed, anger, restlessness, doubt, and sloth and torpor. Yeah. be sensation, it could be the posture that you're in, it could be the breath, yeah. So any of those things are body practices. The breath is a body practice. Actually, the breath is comprised of four different elements, and so you can use it in ways that you can see all of the four aspects of the satipatthana within the breath. So any of those are body awareness practices and they're helpful for anchoring attention when we get hijacked or sideswept away with thought or emotion. Well, thank you.